you want to grab your seats? And uh, if you've got a Bible, if you could turn to Genesis chapter 30. We've only got a couple of weeks left in our current Genesis series. Uh, if you're new here, we've been looking at, uh, at the section kind of Genesis 25 to 35, roughly that. Particularly through uh, one main character called Jacob, under the uh, overall banner for the title of Flawed and Yet Chosen. So we've been looking at the fact that Jacob is very much like all of us in this room. He's flawed, he's imperfect, he makes a lot of blunders that probably we can look at and go, oh, that's a bit like me. And yet at the same time, there's this stunning, stunning truth that God has unfathomably set his kindness and his mercy and his grace upon him in order to achieve amazing things. And obviously that is, if you're a Christian here, that is your life story as well. That we don't deserve it, and yet God has set his affections upon us. I think, uh, I think it's fairly true to say, isn't it, guys, that we are living in quite exciting days. Any here, anyone here would agree with that? Particularly after last weekend in the morning, hearing about God stirring faith in us as a church to be involved with mission, not just here, but to the ends of the earth, and just sensing a rise of faith in that, particularly, I guess, with Finland emerging as a potential thing in the next few years. But, uh, and then in the afternoon at our members' meeting where we uh, spoke about God's potentially leading us to, uh, at some point in the future, buy some land in the south of Canterbury. Uh, it's, it's a fairly amazing uh, time in which we live. And yet at the same time, as well as all the excitement and the, uh, and the, and the, the bubble and joy, joyfulness, as it were, we, we as a people need to, more than ever, we need to know daily, hourly, that we are being led by God. I think, in fact, no matter whether you're a Christian or whether you're a non-Christian, the issue of guidance, whether you're doing the right thing, whether you're going to marry the right person, whether you're going to pursue the right job, whether you're going to buy the right house or whatever, the issue of guidance is massive. And I think just when you look at um, you know, the world around us, there's a million and one different attempts to bring guidance from horoscopes, in uh, newspapers to the plethora of different types of TV programs that are all kind of giving guidance about, I don't know, cooking or buying a house or whatever, that everyone is concerned and worried and wanting to make sure that actually that they are doing the right things in life. And I think that's a, a good thing, that we should be, no matter who we are, wanting to make sure that when we do things, we don't just do them, but we're doing them because of actually an assurance that we're doing the right thing. And, and the wonderful thing is this, is that when you look at the Bible, there is no one easy answer. So as I'm saying this, I guarantee all across this room, there will be dozens and dozens and dozens of different types of things that you are facing where you want an answer to it. Where does the Lord want me? Some of you third years are thinking, should I stay or should I go? Does the Lord want me here? Does he want me somewhere else? Some of you are thinking, is that person that I like, is that, is that a right thing? Is that a good desire? Some of you are thinking, oh, I want to buy a house. Which house should I buy? Whatever the issue you're facing, that when we come to Scripture, there is no one easy, quick answer to the issues that you're facing. Because every decision that we have, ultimately, that we find the answer to, is not found in a system or an easy phrase that will sum up what the right answer is. It's found in relationship with the living God. 
And the wonderful truth is this, is that although I can't give you the answer to the things that you're facing right now, we're about to look at a passage in Scripture where there's one man called Jacob, a very normal man with lots of mistakes, with one desire, one decision, as it were, to make. And we're going to look now at a glimpse, just a glimpse, a little snapshot, into guidance. We're going to see how this one desire that he has, which is to move from one location in the north with his family, he has a desire to move away from there, from his nightmare father-in-law, down to the south. And we're going to look at that one desire, that one decision that he has. And what we're going to see is that in the coming, in the coming verses as we read them, we will see amazing, timeless principles that I guarantee you in the next 30 minutes, you're going to go, oh, I can see myself in that. And what we're going to see in the coming verses actually is three different stages that we see in Jacob's being guided by God. We're going to see a red stage. Stop. We're going to see an amber stage. Get ready. And then we're going to see a green stage. We're going to see that a red stage and an amber stage and a green stage from the moment where he has the good desire to actually the six years later that God finally says now it's time to act upon that. So let's read then the first section today, the red stage as it were, uh, from verse 25. As soon as Rachel had born Joseph, Jacob said to Laban, Send me away that I may go to my home country and home and country. Give me my wives and my children for whom I have served you, that I may go, for you know the service that I have given you. But Laban said to him, If I have found favour in your sight, I have learned by divination that the Lord has blessed me because of you. Name your wages, and I will give it. Jacob said to him, You yourself know how I have served you and how your livestock has fared with me. For you had little before I came. And it has increased abundantly, and the Lord has blessed you wherever I turned. But now, when shall I provide for my own household also? He said, What shall I give you? And Jacob said, You shall give me nothing, but if you will do this for me, I will again pasture your flocks and keep it. Let me pass through all your flocks today, removing from it every speckled and spotted sheep, and every black lamb, and the spotted, spotted and speckled among the goats, and they shall be my wages. Pray for me right now. So, my honesty will answer for me later when you come to look into my wages with you. Everyone that is not spotted, oh, <laughs> come on guys, pray harder. Speckled and spotted among the goats and black among the lambs. If found with me, shall be counted stolen. Laban said, good, let it be as you've said. But that day Laban removed the male goats that were, stripped, uh, that, that were stripped and spotted and all the female goats that were speckled and spotted, everyone that had white on it and every lamb that was black and put them in charge of his sons. Oh, I love the Bible. And he set a distance of three days' journey between himself and Jacob. And Jacob pastured the rest of Laban's flock. Then Jacob took fresh sticks of poplar and almond and plane trees and peeled white streaks in them, exposing the whites of the sticks. He set the sticks that he had peeled in front of the flocks and the troughs, that is, the watering places where the flocks came to drink. And since they bred when they came to drink, the flocks bred in front of the, of the sticks, and so the flocks brought forth striped, speckled, and spotted. And Jacob separated the lambs and set the faces of the flocks towards the striped and all the black in the flock of Laban. He put his own droves apart and did not put them with Laban's flock. Whenever the stronger of the, of the flock were breeding, Jacob would lay the sticks in the troughs before the eyes of the flock, that the troughs before the eyes 
Oh no, that they might breed among the sticks. <laughs> I need my glasses. But for the feebler of the flock, he would not lay them there. So the feebler would be Laban's and the stronger Jacob's. And thus the man increased greatly and had large flocks, female servants, male servants, camels and donkeys. Hallelujah. Let's pray. Father, thank you. My job is done. Thank you, Father, for that tongue twister. Thank you, Lord, that your word is perfect. Thank you so much that it is perfect. Your word is perfect. And we just say, Lord, Spirit of God, come now and move amongst us. Lord, come and move amongst your body, your family, Lord. And just bring fresh faith, direction, encouragement. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So this first tongue twister of a section <laughs> is what I've titled the red stage. What do I mean by this? Well, Jacob our flawed yet chosen man of the moment. Jacob has a good desire. We see a desire that is good, and yet the timing is wrong. So here we see, as, ja as soon as Rachel, verse 25, had born Joseph, Jacob said to, me, to, to Laban, send me away that I may go to my own home and country. So the situation is that Laban, the f his father-in-law, the father of, of uh, Rachel and, uh, and Leah, had been ripping him off, basically. So he, he'd, been, he'd been dodgy dealing. And so after 14 years of working really hard in order to secure these two ladies, he now understandably says, okay, I've done my bit. It's now time for me to move on. His desire is a good desire. His desire is honorable. His desire is to effectively become independent, to set up his family, to earn more money, to you know, buy a house, as it were, to become a good provider for his family. That is a biblical thing. Some of you people here today, some of you gents are thinking, one day I may well have a family, I may well have a wife, so I want to make sure I'm getting a job that is putting enough money aside to, to get ready for that. It's a good and honourable and biblical thing to do. We see that this is a selfless thing. This is something that he essentially, it's not so much about him, but it's because he's got now four wives and a huge great family of 12 kids. And so he is wanting to make sure that he is financially secure and free from this dodgy father-in-law. So what I'm trying to say is this. The desire in his heart is good. It is a good desire. But we do not see God here at this stage give him any permission to act upon it. And so Laban here, not Laban, Jacob, with great wisdom... Because God has not said, just because you've got that desire, go and do it. He therefore waits. He waits. He waits until, as we're going to see various verses later, six years later, God is going to say to him, now is the time to act upon it. So for some of you here, God is just wanting just to say to us that it, some of the desires that you have in your heart for such and such, the desire may be good, but it might be that God wants you to know today that you are actually in a red light stage. Not a red light district, a red light stage. <laughs> and you know, get it out there, get the joke done. God, Lord wants you to know many of you here today are actually in a place where the desire of your heart for something. And, and God wants today for us to know that the desire, even when it's good, doesn't necessarily mean that the fulfillment of it is right here, right now. I think one of the, the, the saddest things I've, I've seen so often is people who act upon desire without actually 
giving it to the Lord and assume that automatically, if it's there, then it is always the right time for that to be fulfilled. And what we see here, we can be clear it's a right desire because it's a biblical thing, it's an honourable thing, it's a selfless thing, but also because it lasts over time. We're going to see that year in, year out, still this desire that God has put in Jacob, it lasts over time. And that's another key. If you've got a desire in your heart for something, you're trying to work out a decision in your heart, if it persists over time, often that can be a sign that that desire is a good desire. I've had many people, enthusiastic people, you know, blunder into my office over the years as a pastor and said, Tom, I've got this, this absolute passion for X, Y, or Z. And one of the things I've learned is just to give it time, to see whether that thing that they're burning with at the moment actually over time grows and develops because sometimes it does, but sometimes it doesn't. And we see here in the heart of Jacob that this desire to provide for his family in a better setting, it grows over time. But wonderfully, and there's lots of things in Jacob that he doesn't get right, I believe this is a moment where he gets a big double A star, well done Jake. He waits he waits. He doesn't just rush in to try to make it happen. He waits. It's very, very encouraging. And we ask ourselves the question, well, why does he wait? Why is, what is God about? Why doesn't God just release him to fulfill that desire straight away? And the reason is, is there's two huge things that God wants to do in him and through him in that red stage. One's internal and one is external. The internal thing that God wants to do in Jacob and in us, in those times in our life where we have a desire for something, but God's just saying, wait, the first of them is a deep work in our soul. When there is a a desire in us for something, and it's a good thing, but God is not allowing us to walk into it. You see, Jacob, we know true to his namesake, he was a grabber. His name literally just meant a grabber. And we've seen previously he was one who made things happen, okay? He was kind of like a bit of a a wheeler dealer. He's someone who lived by his own wits. He was used to kind of making things happen in his own strength. So just imagine the frustration then when he has this desire, but God doesn't give him the green light. Many of us here will go, oh, I I totally identify with that. I, God is calling him to a season of patience. He's calling into a season of being in a certain level of almost discomfort. He's putting him in a place where actually there's a righteous red light stage of waiting that he wants him to fully enter into. And what do we see his activity is? He gives himself to the building of this somewhat hilarious contraption with the sticks. Now every single scholar that I have read, all of them say... What he's doing basically, you know, we mentioned the mandrakes a couple of weeks ago and there was a sort of superstition that mandrakes made ladies pregnant. In a similar way, there was a superstition that if you fiddled around with different types of almond pines or whatever they were called or sticks, that that would make your flock produce in a certain way. And it, of course, was complete and utter superstition. And so this is almost like a hilarious picture of Jacob the man who's used to making, th- making things happen in his own strength, God has said, wait. And yet we see he, he's sort of obsessed with trying to make things happen with this contraption of sticks. And the point is this, is that as we read on in the next chapter, verse 9, 31, 
Jacob is going to realize that this stick contraption has nothing to do. Say nothing to do. Say it again. Nothing to do. And this is important. Nothing to do with the fact that his flocks multiply. Because in verse 9 of chapter 31, Jacob himself says, Thus God has taken away the livestock of your father and given them to me. He doesn't say, because of my ingenuity and my, uh, my clever strategizing, I have achieved this great wealth. Even if he hadn't done the stick contraption in his own flesh, God would have blessed him anyway. How can I be so sure of this? Because in Genesis chapter 12, God astonishingly chose Abraham. Abraham was Jacob's grandfather. And he said to him, you are no better than anyone else around you. But because of my amazing grace, I am going to bless you. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to pour out my grace upon you. So this is the point. I think often when we read about Jacob, all these kind of biblical characters, we think Jacob, good guy, Laban, bad guy, boo. We think Jacob kind of deserves God's blessing. Laban definitely doesn't. And even as Christians, we can sometimes slip into thinking, kind of deserve God's blessing. Those nasty non-Christians definitely don't. And what this is screaming to us is that Laban and Jacob, neither of them, deserved God's blessing. The only reason that God multiplied Jacob's flock was nothing to do with his sticks. It was all to do with God's extraordinary grace. Do you understand that? That's absolutely huge because we are still doing the stick thing 3,000 years, 4,000 years later. Even though if you're a Christian here today, God has promised to bless you. Not because of fiddling around with sticks, not doing things in your own flesh that you think are going to achieve what you want to achieve in your life, but because of his extraordinary, undeserved grace and favor. It's the same amazing truth here today. And this is the character, deep work that God wants to achieve in the red stage in his life. He's desperate for Jacob to realize that he can sweat and toil and try and do things in his own strength. When all along, God's kindness is upon him. And when we are in those moments, when we're in those stages in our life, where there's a desire that we really have, and yet God's saying, no, wait. Something in us, something in us, God wants to break so that we learn that no matter how much we try and make it happen with our own sticks, our own equivalents, our own man-made attempts, God wants to he wants us to realize that just as with Jacob, it was always about grace anyway, so too with us. He wants us in those times to realize it's about grace anyway. And so what we see is, is that in those times where God is saying, no, not yet, God's doing a deep, deep work in Jacob's life and a deep work in many of us here today, which is why so often, when God puts a desire in our hearts, he doesn't then just immediately give us permission to go for it, but actually he wants us to patiently learn to rest. To learn to rest. That he is unwaveringly committed to blessing you. And that even in that place we think, I so want that thing. That God's saying, yeah, I know. I've put that desire there. But I want to teach you to not rely on the things that you would rely on in your own flesh, your own attempts to people-please or to be popular, 
or to do well and to try really hard in your own strength, but to learn to rest in the extraordinary same promise that Jacob was learning to rest in. I know this sounds simple, but believe me, if you're anything like me, I think I get this. And then suddenly, I realize I've got back into striving. When I was preparing this in my shed this week, I was just reading it, and I went out to have a coffee, and as I was walking back across the garden, and it just suddenly struck me that Jacob and Laban were equally sinful, okay? Jacob didn't deserve any more blessing than Laban. And yet God was teaching him this. He wanted to break and soften his heart. It just broke me. I thought, yes, why do I bother putting all my energy into these stupid sticks in my life? So much energy goes into things that ultimately are never going to be the thing that brings the fulfillment of it anyway. God has committed to blessing us. And it brings the most amazing rest. It doesn't mean we don't do anything. But what it does mean is that we do it from a place of rest rather than a place of striving or attempting to make things happen. And God is wanting in this red stage to make this. And some of you, you God is just, he just wants you to just be still and know that he is God. Some of you are, are so desperate to know what exactly you're going to do with your life. And you've been going, God, tell me. And you don't know. And God's saying, it's okay. It's okay. I know I have the plans for you to prosper you and to do you well. I want you today to learn to rest in my unmerited, my undeserved grace. It's what the gospel is all about. And yet we so often, we so often find ourselves striving like Jacob was doing when all along God says, just please learn to rest in me. It's huge. It's, it's why I think God so often puts a call on people's lives for things. And then there's a huge waiting period where God wants to see them learn this great lesson over and over and over again. So God is doing a deep work, a deep work in his heart, but there's also an external reason why God leads him into this red stage, this red light stage. It's because Laban is being blessed through him. Laban says, I've learned by divination, verse 28, that the Lord has blessed me because of you. Just let that sink in for a moment. If you are a Christian here today, A, as we've just made clear, whether you like it or not, God is utterly committed to blessing you. But secondly, through you, he has committed to blessing the world around you. That there are, in fact, many Labans that God has put you in contact with. People that actually maybe there's even a little bit of a difficult relationship. Workmates, housemates, family members, neighbours. And every part of you wants to, to leave. And God is saying, the reason I'm calling you to stay put is not just so that you can learn this deep soul work of learning to live in grace, but secondly, that that blessing upon you is contagious. I have sovereignly chosen to bless this world, not outside of my people, but through my people. Now, this is a massive, massive revelation because we are so individual in our world. You've got, we've got to hear this afresh. The people that you know in your workplaces, in your neighborhoods, wherever you are, the fact that you know them and you are close to them is not a coincidence. 
It is because God, in this season in your life, is using you, even when they don't show that they're receiving it, to bless them. You see, I don't think Laban is being particularly grateful here. It's not like he's like, he, he just knows that there's a good thing that comes when this guy's around. And God wants us to understand that when we became a Christian, if you're a Christian here today, your life no longer is your own. You were bought at a price. You are actually his ambassador to this world. So as well as receiving the enormous grace blessing that we talked about, secondly, there is a responsibility, a joyful responsibility that God has called us to rise up to. That the situations around us that God has placed us as individually and corporately are the outworking of Genesis 12 called to be a blessing. See, that's why when two or three weeks ago I was standing before the council and just talking about some of the things that God is calling us to do, that was an outworking of the promise made to Abraham thousands of years ago. It was the same outworking of the promise that Jacob here is learning to live in the good of with Laban. Laban, different value system to him, and yet God was using Jacob to bless him. And God is calling all of his churches to be a blessing more and more and more and more in the community. Just as we have received from God, our great joy and privilege is to be pouring that out into this city. Now you may well think, Tom, you don't understand my workmates, they seriously don't see me as a blessing. Hey listen, the bottom line is underneath the surface there is inevitably more going on than you can possibly imagine. God's promise is that through his people, he will bless the world around us. Now this means this, that actually, when it comes to making decisions that cause that to change, we need to think carefully. If we come to the truth that actually we're not where we are by coincidence, and that we actually have a responsibility to continue to be salt and light to those around us, is that there's a sense in which I believe God totally, totally loves Laban. He wanted Laban to come to repentance. He wanted, over these years, Jacob's presence in his life to soften him. And so that Laban would go, yes, I see this God, I, I want to follow him. But as we see in the story, that doesn't happen. But that's Laban's responsibility. He hardens his heart. But God is wanting to use Jacob to soften Laban's heart through his blessing. And in the same way, there will be multitudes of people in this city, in our neighborhoods, in our workplaces, at university, wherever God has placed you, that God wants to see come to know him. I remember some time ago, a friend of mine, um, he'd started to connect with a young lad uh, who, didn't, who, who had a mum but no, no father. And he started to invest in his life. And this kid started to trust him and to really open up. And then, quite quickly, uh, a job offer came to this guy and, and, he, and he zoomed off and left Canterbury and went for this job offer. Now, I, I'm, I'm sure he's a godly guy. He may well have really sought God for this. But a thought did go through my mind that there was a sense in which it, was, it felt like a wrenching. That all that God had been doing through him to this boy felt somewhat wrenched. And I felt God speak to me and say, actually, Tom, those people in your neighborhood, those people around you, the people that you're starting to connect with, I'm calling you to have a long-term commitment to them. I'm calling you to put roots so that I can continue through you to bless them. And for many of us here today, God wants to remind us and encourage, yes, God wants to do a deep work in us in terms of knowing the blessing and the grace of God, 
but that through us, God genuinely has a long-term plan to bring amazing fruit all across this great region. Do you believe it? Isn't that amazing? And yet our timings are often not his timings, but God would encourage us today to see the eyes that he has for us in this situation. So first of all, then, we see a red stage. Some of you here today, we're going to pray for you in a moment. You're in that place. And you know that you need the grace of God to come crashing in to give you peace amidst that weight. But secondly, we then see everything changes. Verse 1, 31. Now Jacob heard that the sons of Laban were saying, Jacob has taken all that was our father's, and for what was our father's, he has gained all this wealth. So they're starting to get a little bit angry with him. Jacob saw that Laban did not regard him with favor as before. And then the Lord said to Jacob, Return to the land of your fathers and to your kindred, and I will be with you. So Jacob sent and called Rachel and Leah into the field where his flock was and said to them, I see that your father does not regard me with favor as he did before. But the Lord of my father has been with me. You know that I have served your father with all my strength, and yet your father has cheated me and changed my wages ten times. But God did not permit him to harm me. If he said, the spotted shall be your wages, then all the flock bore spotted. And if he said, the striped shall be your wages, then all the flock bore striped. Thus God has taken away the livestock of your father and given them to me. In the breeding season of the flock, I lifted up my eyes and I saw in a dream that the goats that mated with the flock were striped, spotted and mottled. And then the angel of God said to me in the dream, Jacob, and I said, here I am. And he said, lift up your eyes and see. All the goats that mate with the flock are striped, spotted and mottled. For I have seen all that Laban is doing to you. I am the God of Bethel, where you anointed a pillar and made a vow to me. Now arise, go out from this land and return to the land of your kindred. Rachel and Leah answered and said to him, Is there any portion of inheritance left to us in our father's house? Are we not regarded by him as foreigners? For if he had sold us, and he has indeed devoured our money, all the wealth that God has taken away from our father belongs to us and to our children. Now then, whatever God has said to you, do. So suddenly, after six years of godly, patient waiting, Seeing God change his character inside to learn it's not about sticks and striving. It's about learning that God has chosen to bless you and so you might as well enjoy it and rest in that place and be humbled by it. Yes, secondly, also that he has a missional responsibility to Laban and those around him. But then suddenly God sees all that's happened and says, now it's the time to get ready to go. So now we see that the desire matures the desire has matured, and now discussion and communication is vital. Now he's moved from a red stage into the amber stage. So if you're thinking of a, now he's at the traffic lights and the engine's starting to rev, his hands on the gear stick, about to go into first. God is saying, well done for waiting. Now is the time to get ready. Now I want to say this. If you're in a situation where you're thinking, well I just need to hear God on this. Please have faith that an encounter with God, where God will speak to you and give you the answer, is God's heart for you. This is exactly what, what Jacob did. For six years, he wanted to do this right thing. Yet because God's silence was there, he interpreted that as, well, God hasn't said do it, so I'm going to stay put and I'm going to give myself in this difficult situation because I can trust my father. Isn't that amazing? He doesn't just assume. 
He doesn't just presume upon the will of God. He waits for the perfect timing of the Father. And I so wish more of us had this wonderful patience because God honors him. And in a dream, he speaks to him lovingly, kindly, and says to him, now is the time to get ready to go back to the place where I have called you. And I tell you, when you've been in a place of wanting to know about something and waiting for God to give you the green light on it, when God genuinely does encounter you and say, now is the time, it changes everything. It changes everything. Now, it might not be in a dream. It might be that, that you're reading Scripture, God's perfect word, and suddenly something just goes, Woo! you know those experiences? You're like, I've read this a hundred times, but suddenly it's like, whip, whip, whip. You know, it's like flashy lights and it's just screaming at you. That is an amazing way that we can encounter God. It's the most safe way. It's God's perfect living word. By the Spirit, we encounter God's truth and we know, we just know in us that he's saying now is the time. I would say, listen, prize that, expect that, learn from the, from the example of Jacob that with his big decision about moving, he didn't just go, oh, okay, let's you know, see what happens. No, no, he humbly waited. But God honored that and said yes, and he encountered him. I remember the time years ago when um, we were thinking, uh, we were starting to talk as an eldership um, about the possibility. This is when I wasn't leading the team and a guy called Barry Gould was leading. And I remember we were talking about we knew that God was starting to stir us up in terms of um, someone leading the team. And uh, I was the youngest in the team, um, and uh, there was an amazing man in the team, and they were very encouraging, and, uh, and they were saying, Tom, you know, we think, we think maybe you could lead the team. And, then, and it was like a, you know, it was a, uh, there was a, something of a desire in me, a bit like with Jacob in, in the red stage, you know, it's like a good desire, yeah, well, that's a good, honourable thing. But basically, I was totally terrified, and I thought there's, I know it's a good thing to desire this, but I don't know if this is a God thing yet. Do you see that? It, it was a good desire, but I had to know that this wasn't just a Tommy Shaw good idea. This was a God thing. And so I waited, and we waited, and we waited for a long time. And then suddenly, in an extraordinary season, through various men with prophetic gifting of a remarkable nature, God just spoke. I remember one particular occasion where Julian Adams, who did not know me the first time we'd ever met, he just prophesied over me and talked and spoke into it and just said, God has called you to lead. Now, the difference from two minutes earlier, from a good idea, to suddenly knowing God had confirmed it and spoken it and rubber-stamped it, it was all the difference in the world. And I am so grateful that God in his kindness didn't let me prematurely just hope and get into that position. But in his sovereign kindness, he spoke and confirmed it. And so suddenly my mental, my mental uh, approach to it completely shifted from, well, I wonder if I could do this thing. And if, if I was in that mental approach, I would almost, I could find myself being defensive, yeah? So if someone challenged or confronted, I could be like, no, no, I'm good enough to do this. That would have been my heart. But I knew full well I wasn't good enough to do it. <laughs> I knew that I wasn't clever enough or holy enough or wise enough or anything enough. But because God had said it, I knew, like Mike was saying last week, if God says it, it's his problem to deal with. 
And so if someone said, Tom, I don't think you're up to it, I go, you're absolutely right. I completely agree with you. But I just know God said it. And so actually, I share your nervousness, actually. It's fine. I'm with you on that. I know who I am. But praise God, God has said it, and he's always used wallies. So if he's done it in the past, then he's going to do it again. And I tell you what, it was the most freeing thing in the world. And I just want to say to you, that principle is not just reserved for those sort of moments. It's res- God loves, he loves to see and to honour people who will wait upon him. It says so many times throughout the scripture, wait upon the Lord. Wait. And it doesn't just mean 10 minutes in a worship session. It means a lifestyle of waiting. Waiting for him to speak. Waiting for him to speak. And the other fascinating thing I want us to notice here, that is the desire maturing. It's not just that it's matured because now God has confirmed it. Look at this. Now, for him to see the fulfilment of this desire, it will be costly. Now, this is a subtle but huge point. You see, when six years earlier, he was like, I want to leave. I'm basically pretty skint. You've ripped me off. I haven't really got any money. I want to go and earn some money somewhere else and have a good thing. The desire was a good desire, but it wouldn't have actually cost him much. But now it says that he was a very wealthy man. God had blessed him. His flocks had massively increased. So you see, now he'd be like, well, actually, maybe, Lord, maybe I'm not that bothered about moving away here. This is quite a good deal I've got here. Do you see, for him to actually then see the fulfillment of the desire, now it would be costly. Now this is another huge lesson because often when a desire is birthed in us and we first see it, we see it in a slightly unreal way. We think if that thing could just happen, then oh, everything would be fine. And we just see it, to be honest with you, it's slight unreality. And now we see, as the years have gone on, God's saying, okay, now's the time, my friend, for you to leave and to go back. He's like, oh, Right, so I'm going to become poor again. Right. And you can see here that there's a cost now to the fulfillment of what God had spoken to him that there wouldn't have been. And when, when, I, when I look at my own life and when I talk to other people about whether this thing is of God, whether this decision that's to be made, one of the clearest ways that we can often discern between whether it's of God or whether it's just our own idea is if there's a cost. Because when there's a cost to it, it is perhaps more likely that actually it's the Lord's leading. Because when we just dream things up, <laughs> when we've had too much cheese on a pizza, and we've got some wacky idea, a bit too much orange juice, cordial, you know, we, we often, with the way that we can work is not really in such a mature way. But we see here now the desire is matured. It's matured. It's, it's matured because God has confirmed it, but it's now going to involve something of a cost. And I think, I think in a way, there's so many different examples that we can think of. I, I think of, I remember when um, me and Josie were going out together and, uh, and it was just like, this is amazing, this is brilliant, you know, she's amazing, she's fantastic. And, uh, and I thought, right, uh, you know, make her an honourable woman, an honest woman of her, I'm going to ask her to marry me. I remember driving through the night, one dramatic night, spontaneously, down to uh, near Brighton where Josie was with her mum and just knocking on the door going, come with me. And off we went down to the beach one windy night. And, uh, and I got down on my, on my knees and said, Josie, will you marry me? And uh, of course, she said yes, immediately. And as I stood up, <laughs> as I stood up, and this is serious, as I stood up, I felt something had completely shifted. I felt God, as clear as a bell, had said, okay, you're not actually married to her yet, but you I've seen what you've said, and now there's a weight 
to this relationship. I tell you what, it, it was weird. It was just like I thought, wow, I, I believe the Bible is calling me, if I'm going to marry her, I've got to lead her. And she's an amazing leader. And if God blesses us with children, I've got to now actually think about being responsible for, for, for loving them. And, and it was like in a moment, God just, it wasn't an unpleasant thing, but it was a real thing. And it just was a shift. The desire had gone from just a nice, woo, Josie, she's gorgeous, to whoa. And I believe this is often what God does with desires in our hearts. I think even a bit with like the land, you know? For years, we get the land, if we, you know, just get the building, then everything will be okay. And actually, it's like, well, okay, God seems to be opening this up. And it's like, wow, this is actually quite scary, if I'm honest. You know, you think we've got somehow, you know, we're going to be, there's going to be a cost to it. There is. Of course there is. Financially, you know, it's going to be a cost. We might have, I don't know, there could be opposition from residents at, at first, you know. There'll be, I mean, the amount of times churches squabble over the colour of the carpet or the colour of the stupid things. You know, there could be cost to this thing. Now, if God is leading us into this stage with it, then we're going to follow. But there's a shift that happens. The desire isn't just a bubbly thing anymore, but it actually becomes something with a cost to it. And in this season, what he does is he gives himself. He gives himself to talking to his wives, plural. And actually, this is a good thing that he talks to his wives. And in this stage, the key thing that we see here is communication. It's to give ourselves to communicating. If you're in a place where you're thinking God might be speaking to you and confirming that now is the time to do X, Y, or Z, give yourself to talking to people around you. If you're in a, in a relationship and you're thinking, I might ask her to marry me, for goodness sake, talk to people around you and get advice. Talk to ourselves. Now talk to your friends and your cell leaders and people that you respect. If you're thinking, I don't know, about moving away and you're thinking, God is confirming this, brilliant, but talk about it, discuss it. If you're perhaps thinking about buying a house or changing your course at uni or whatever it might be, involve the community. That's what Jacob does. He's had God's encounter, but then he shares it with them. And that, in this stage, the key thing that God's wanting to bring is wisdom. In the first stage, the red stage, it's about rest and peace, knowing that God's waited. But now it's about wisdom. It's about a wisdom season. But finally we see that then Jacob, wonderfully, he now gets the full green light to go into first gear and roar off in his glorious car of destiny. So in verse 7, verse 17, so Jacob arose and set his sons and his wives on camels. He drove away all his livestock, all his property that he'd gained, the livestock in his possession that he had acquired in Padam Aram to go to the land of Canaan to his father Isaac. Laban had gone to shear his sheep and Rachel stole her father's household gods. And Jacob tricked Laban the Aramean by not telling him that he intended to flee. He fled with all that he had and arose and crossed the Euphrates and set his face towards the hill country of Gilead. So final stage here, it's now pedal to the metal, time to move. The right action, but the wrong flavour. What I mean by this is, is that if God has spoken to him and he's communicated about it and he's waited well so he knows there's a real desire, he's got all the boxes ticked, he should have been full of faith to say to Laban, D -d 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 Laban, it's time for us to go. God's told me it. I've chatted with your daughters about it. We're all in agreement. So you might get your knickers in a twist and not want it, but we're going to do it. But what does he do? In this moment of faith, he mixes it with just a little bit of fear. He mixes it with just a little bit of, I better just control this thing. 
And so often in our lives, when God does lead us in a moment of faith to go for something, we almost do it, and then we just add a little bit of our own little human control, just to make sure, just to give God a helping hand on the way. You know, just to really make sure that God actually is going to make sure that that thing happens. And it's so sad, because actually there's no reason for him to do this. And what it does is it leads to actually Laban feeling dishonoured. He feels dishonoured. And I understand that. Him running off in the middle of the night, you know, he's going to feel cheesed off about that. And although Laban, we know, is not a man who particularly probably would have responded well either way, the point is this, is that when God does give us a green light to go, he wants us to do it full of faith. He doesn't want us to do it mixing it with a little bit of fear. Some of you in this room, God has promoted. Some of you, literally in your jobs, just recently, God has promoted. And he's opened up the green door and you're like, wow. And it's like a faith moment. And God would say to you today, do not fear. Do not add any, any elements of your own trying to control things in your own human sense. Don't feel that perhaps the things that got you to where you are now in your own eyes are the things that you've got to keep doing in order to sustain that place. God has given it to you by grace. And God today wants us to be a people who when a green season comes, we actually respond in courage and faith. Respond in courage and faith. In the last three weeks, I've had three separate prophecies over my life, all basically saying the same thing. Keith Hazel, three weeks ago, said to me, Tom, I see you, and, and you're, there's a whole load of hot coals. And uh, you'd be going, ooh, ooh, ooh. And those are things that, in your life, you're trying to make sure you're doing right, you know? Things that you're just trying to be a little bit delicate about. And God's saying, I'm lifting your head. And it is now time for you to run with your eyes fixed, not on the coals, not on the things, not on the problems, not on the things that can wet you down, but actually to get your head up, focused on God, focused on his purposes, and to run. And then, just a week later at the prayer meeting, Mike Rayner prophesied over me. He said, I just see this whole thing of you running. And apparently Hebrew shepherds led, not at the back, but at the front. And God's saying, it's time to run. It's time to fix your gaze ahead of you and to run, run, run. Not to get bogged down on things that you could be overly focusing on, but to keep your head up and run. And even this week, I had this prophecy from a guy who leads a church in Oxted who just tapped me on the shoulder in the middle of a meeting. Doesn't know me hardly at all. So he doesn't know much about the church. He just said, Tom, God would say this to you. The plans I have for you, he knows nothing about the church or the land or anything, I'll have for you are not too big. They will not overwhelm him. They will not overwhelm the church. They will not overstretch the elders. They will not overstretch the church. They will call blessing to you, blessing to the elders, blessing to the church, blessing to the community. Take strength. Take courage. Be bold. That's how I have made you to be. If my favor rests on you and your family, what harm can befall you? And I don't believe that's just for me. I believe there's multitudes here who are in a season right now where you know God has opened up something in your life and you're like, Ooh, and God's saying, no, 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 take courage. Be strong. Know that if God's opened it up, it is not time to be dancing around on the hot coals, but to run full pelt with your eyes on the Creator, knowing that He will bring you into all that God has for you. Can we stand? We've got just a few minutes left. I just feel that there's all across this room, there's many here, and you've known that you're either in a red season, or you're in an amber season, or you're in a green season. And I just believe, perhaps, Rob, you could just come and tinkle. Very technical term there. 
But I do believe that God, He just wants to just come and minister to each of us here today. And if you know in your life that you, you, you would say today, actually even perhaps as I've been speaking, God's been confirming that you're in something of a red stage where God is calling you. Even if there's a desire in your heart at some point to do something, that right now you know that perhaps that desire, the fulfillment of it is not for right now. I just want you to just lift your hands. I want to pray for you. All across this room, there'll be many, many, many in this situation. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Spirit of the living God, we love you. I pray for joy. The joy that comes from knowing that when we try to put the sticks in place, when we try to do the things in our own strength, it's just pointless because your smile is unconditional. Right now, I pray for the rest of heaven, the joy of heaven to wait well, to rest on every single person here. Hundreds of hands raised to you now. Father, right now, I thank you Your grace is enough. Lord, I thank you. You are not one who is out of control. But everything is perfectly in your control. Lord, I want to pray right now for every man and woman here that you will will pour out the yoke of Jesus. The light yoke. Lord, where there's been striving where there's been a sense of almost working against the grain of heaven, I pray right now, Lord, release, release all across this room a fresh sense of the lightness. Not because that thing that we so desire has been given us yet, but Lord, because we know you are so wonderful and you're so near. Spirit of God, draw near on every heart right now. Pour the strength of heaven into every soul across this room whose hearts and hands are open. Wonderful Jesus. Right now, I just pray, Lord, more. More in this room. Spirit of God, we love you. And we say rest now on this great company of men and women. Where there's been, where there's been the water's been choppy and turbulent, I speak stillness now. I speak speak peace into the hearts of men and women across this room. Let striving cease. Let striving cease. God knows the desires of your heart. And for multitudes of you, that desire you're lifting to him now is a very good desire good thing but God right now would say with a smile upon his face I want to I want to teach you about my grace I want to teach you about the lightness of my spirit the lightness of knowing the grace of God even now for some of you I just see a picture of someone getting into a really hot steamy bath 
And right now, God's not taking you onto a different thing, but He's just putting you afresh into His deep presence. Wonderful Lord. Wonderful Lord. I want to pray, Lord, for the provision of heaven. Keep receiving. Keep receiving. Lord, I want to pray. Now, if you're someone you know, you may well be in that amber stage where you just feel God may well be right now just starting to speak to you about that thing and give you wisdom. I want to pray right now. Just lift up your hands. And I believe God's going to give you wisdom. Just hold your hands out as if you're going to get receive a present. Lord, Lord, I speak wisdom. Wisdom of Solomon. The wisdom of the ages. The wisdom from heaven into every heart right now. With big, with big decisions, Lord, you are a big God. And you're a God who loves to grant the wisdom that transcends understanding. Grant it now, I ask. Grant it now. Grant it, Lord, I pray for spirit-led discussions this very week. I pray even now for those whose hands are raised, that they will just even have pictures of people in the church that perhaps are going to give them specific insight and wisdom. Perhaps men and, wisdom, men and women of maturity who will have experience in the things that you're facing. Father, I pray it now, Lord, for the joy of the Lord, the wisdom of heaven. And I pray finally for those of us who sense something of a green stage in our life as well with certain things. Right now, let's just raise our hands. Thank you, Lord. I believe for us, God wants to release courage. Courage. Courage as a gift of God. For some of you, you've been looking down and you know God's leading you into it, but there's just been a something of a double-mindedness. And God today, is it's like he's taking you by the face and he's making you look at him. He's going, look at my face. Look at the character of who I am. If I've led you into this, you can trust me. And right now, I speak courage into the heart of all those in this particular place. I speak courage. I say, Lord, release the courage of heaven. Right now, wherever you are, why don't you just ask God for whatever it is that you particularly feel that you know that he's just been leading you into. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Mm. Thank you, Jesus. Oh, wonderful. Jesus, we want to thank you so much that every promise has its yes in Christ Jesus. Every promise has its yes in Jesus. And Lord, right now, as we break bread, Lord, as we drink wine, juice, we remember that you are the true object of our desire. You are the leader of leaders. You are the holy and almighty and risen and glorious King. We remember you, Lord, as we break bread. We remember your body 
that has paid the price for us to stand here forgiven and able to have communion with you. Lord, as we drink this wine, we remember your blood shed, the cost of this extraordinary access we have now right into heaven's throne room. Father, we adore you. We adore you. We adore you, Lord. Oh, Lord, meet us even in these final moments today. I think we're going to sing one final song as we break bread. I just want to encourage you, if you're a Christian here today, please feel free to do this. This is very much a gift from God. If you're not a Christian here today, the Bible's clear that this is something for you not to, uh, to engage in. But we would love just to encourage you to. We've got our wheat-free option on my left, your right, and we've got two stations at the back as well. But let's, as we come to an end, let's finish with the climax of focusing on our wonderful Jesus through the giving of his life, through the blood and the body on the cross. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus.